you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be continuing in our series through the book of Hebrews, and today we are going to finish up chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Now before we get into that, if you are anything like me, you learn lots of lessons the hard way. You uh, hear the examples of others and you, you listen to them, but when it comes down to it, you just have to do it yourself and find out the hard way. Specifically, I found out one lesson the hard way many, many years ago, and that is if you are not a great snowboarder, you should probably keep your board fixed firmly to the side of the mountain. You should not try and take jumps or ramps or anything like that. I learned that lesson the hard way, and I broke my arm in half, and I had to have surgery, and I inherited a lifetime of aches and pains whenever the weather changes because I learned that lesson the hard way. Now, you are probably like me, and you have learned lots of lessons like that, but there are some lessons that we should not learn the hard way. And that, one of those lessons is the focus of our text today. And that lesson is that unbelief is a terrible, terrible sin, and it has terrible, terrible consequences. Beginning in verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, left by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through the pages of scripture. And Father, there is, there is so much hope and, and good news in the Bible. 
about how much you have loved us and you have rescued us by your son Jesus. But Father, there are also warnings. And Father, as we read and dig into this warning today, Father, I just pray that you would help us to take care, to listen intently, and to realize the dangers. And Father, I pray that we would respond the way you would have us respond to these warnings. Father, I just pray that in these next few moments that you would help me to get behind you, to get behind the cross, and that you would speak through me, that you would teach all of us this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this text, and, and even in your Bibles, you will see that there are very, three very clear uh, paragraphs and, and divisions and sections in this text. So, each one of these we're going to look at, and we're going to get three main points out of the text. The first one, and in the first paragraph, we're really just going to see the unbelieving example of Israel. And in the second paragraph, we're going to look at how we need to set a guard against unbelief. And then in the last paragraph, we're going to see that unbelief has an expiration date. But before we get into those, I have two bonus points for you. These are free. You didn't know you were going to get them, but they're here in the text, so we're going to look at them. Look at verse 7 with me. Therefore, stop right there. Anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you should always look and see what it is there for. Why is the therefore there? So always ask that question. Whenever you see a therefore, whenever you're reading the Bible, look before to see what happened, to see why he's putting that there. So for our text in particular, it's just everything we have learned previously in the book of Hebrews. Some of the main things that we have learned. Number one, God has revealed himself through the Son. Number two, the Son is better than angels. And number three, what we just learned last week, the Son is better than Moses. So those are the things that we need to know before we get to our text today how great and awesome the sun is. Next bonus point. Look after that in verse seven where it says, as the Holy Spirit says. Right here we have a reference to something called the doctrine of inspiration. Now you may be thinking, what in the world is that? Well, one passage in scripture specifically really explains to us what the doctrine of inspiration is. And that's 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 21. You can write that down to look at it later, but I'm going to read it for you right now. Here's what it says. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we say the doctrine of inspiration, that is when we say that we believe that Scripture reveals to us that even though every single bit of Scripture that we have, a human being took pen and put it to paper and wrote it down, that they weren't doing that on their own. They were doing that as the Holy Spirit was working through them in order to make sure that what we have today is the exact words that God wants us to have. So that is the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. And the author uses that right here because he's actually about to quote from the Old Testament. And he wants his audience, his hearers to know 
that what he is about to say to them has authority because it is the word of God. So those are your bonus points. Now let's get into the meat of this text. The unbelieving example of Israel. Now as again, we look at this, this quote from Psalm 95, there are, there are three ways that the author is going to, to talk to us about unbelief and to talk to us about the example of Israel and how they displayed unbelief. The first thing that we're gonna see is that Israel's unbelief was a heart issue. The second is that their unbelief showed up in their actions. And then the last, that unbelief, Israel's unbelief had very real consequences. And as we look at this quote from Psalm 95, beginning where it says, today if you hear his voice, this psalm, we read the first part of it in our call to worship this morning. The psalm is a call to worship, but then it ends with this warning at the end to be humble and submit to God. And, but this, this passage is actually, it's, it, you gotta get a little bit of a rabbit trail here because we're in Hebrews, we're quoting Psalm 95, but then Psalm 95 is actually pointing back to the events of the Exodus, specifically an event that happened in Numbers 14. So a little bit of a rabbit trail, but follow me here. What happened, we're gonna go on a little bit of a history tour. So Israel was in Egypt, enslaved by the Egyptian people, forced labor, they were being abused by those people, they cried out to God, and God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. The 10 plagues, crossing through the Red Sea, all of those different things, and throughout all of that, God is promising his people, not only that he's going to deliver them, but he's going to take them to a land that he was going to give them. He promised them that, that's very important. He promised them that that land was theirs, that he was going to give it to them. And then right before they are about to go into the promised land, Moses sends out 12 spies to go and search out the land, to scout it out, to see what it is like. Two of the spies come back and give a good report. Caleb and Joshua, they tell the people, God's already promised to, to us, it's a great land, let's go. But there were 10 spies who gave a faithless report. And the result of that faithless report we read in Numbers 14, one through four. It says this, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That is the context of this quote from Psalm 95. And where we see in our passage today is that unbelief starts in the heart. Look at verse eight. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And again, look at verse 10. 
Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. The issue with Israel was inside them. It was their lack of belief that started in their heart. And it's important for us to realize that it is a heart issue because this is the same Israel that confirmed the covenant. They had already been to Sinai. They had already received the law and they said, yes, yes, we will follow this law. Yes, we will submit to God as his people and he will be our God. Yes, we affirm this. But what they said with their mouths didn't reflect what was in their hearts. And that shows up. Unbelief shows up in the actions of Israel. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The rebellion was a real thing that happened. They did not go into the promised land. Where your fathers put me to the test. Israel's unbelief showed up in their actions and how they refused to go in and they refused to show faith and trust in God to go forward. And then the last thing that Israel shows us about unbelief is that unbelief has consequences. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not mown my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. God was very, very patient with Israel. This was not the first time that they had messed up and showed faithlessness. We know the story of the golden calf, of their grumbling and complaining against Moses and Aaron before this. But God's patience ran out with them and there were consequences to their unbelief and the consequences for Israel were horrible. No one under, over the age of 20 at that point was allowed to go into the promised land. They would wander in the wilderness for 40 years and not a single one of that generation would see the promised land. As we move on, verse 12, where it says, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart here we're going to see how we need to set a guard against unbelief. Take care, brothers, take care. That word, we need to think of that word as, a, as we're seeing, we're looking out, we're setting a guard. Some of your translations may say, watch out. The idea that we are supposed to see here is, is the idea of a watchman. In a city back then, you would have a wall around your city, but that wasn't the only thing you needed to have you needed to have watchmen set up on your wall so they could see what was coming against your city. They could see the threats that were coming against it. This is a wartime mentality that the author is trying to get us to see here. We are not at peace. We are at war. And we need to make sure that we are prepared for that war, the spiritual war that we are in. This exhortation to be careful to set a watch is one that we find throughout scripture. Galatians 6.1 says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. 
1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, it's interesting that that passage in 1 Peter tells us that we need to be aware and watchful because of the external threat. And, and let's be clear, we do have an external enemy. We have Satan who wants very much to destroy the church and destroy, destroy our belief in Christ. But if we look at our text today, it's as if those watchmen that are supposed to be watching out, they need to be turned around and watching in. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. We need to watch inside, inside of our own hearts. Now, the way we do that, thankfully, the author gives us a very, very good practical way that we can keep a watch on ourselves so that we do not fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have to have one another. We are not supposed to do this life of following after Christ and believing in him on our own. We have to be in relationship with other believers. One of the strongest arguments against Lone Ranger Christianing and yes, I think I just made that word up, but one of the strongest arguments against it will actually come later in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Guys, sin is deceitful and we have to watch out for one another. A lot of times when we're messing up, we're gonna be the last persons to know. That's why we have to have each other. That's why we have to be in each other's lives. We have to be digging in. We have to be encouraging one another with the scripture. We have to be encouraging one another in prayer. Any of you guys having a hard time with that right now? Anybody having any difficulties actually getting together with other people, talking to them, digging in? Yeah. Uh, it's not easy right now. We are facing a lot of challenges to discipleship. And guys, if you have figured out how to do this well during the pandemic, please let Nathan and I know, because we're looking, we are trying to figure out how are we supposed to do this right now. But I do, I do have one suggestion. And this is the only reason I brought my cell phone up on stage, by the way. Most of us have these, and if we don't have this, we have a landline or something. And guess what? You can use this and be six feet away from someone at the same time. But guys, what, how powerful would it be if we would just, if we haven't seen someone in a while and we care for them, send them a text message, give them a call. Say, hey, how can I pray for you? How, how is your walk going? What have you been reading in scripture lately? Can we do that as a church? I'm teaching that to myself right now. I can't stand talking on the phone, but man, it's necessary. 
It's necessary right now. And I'll say this too. In the next coming weeks, if you're the person that gets that phone call from someone else, be honest. Be honest. We haven't figured it out. And maybe, maybe, you, maybe you can be honest and maybe, maybe you are doing well. Be honest with that. But if you're not doing well, don't just say, oh, things are good. I know that's, that's our knee-jerk reaction anytime somebody asks us if things are going well. But we've got to be honest with each other. We've got to be able to dig into one another's lives so that we can exhort one another exactly how we need to be exhorted. We need to be able to encourage one another just in the ways that we need to be encouraged. Be honest with one another. And here's the great news. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have come to share in Christ. That's the reward. That's the reward. That's what we get when we believe we get to share in Christ. Now again, there's still warning. There's still warning. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Faith that does not endure is not faith at all. Now, I know we talk about as believers, and I 100% believe this, that once we are saved, we are always saved and we cannot be snatched out of Christ's hands. That is the scripture. We believe that we can set our Bibles on that. But again, faith that does not endure. The Bible is clear. That's what these warnings in Hebrews are about. Faith that does not endure wasn't faith at the very beginning. Now there's a positive side to that. Faith that does endure was faith at the very beginning. Faith and belief in Christ that endures till our last breath or till Christ returns is faith that was real at the very beginning. Peter O'Brien, a, a theologian, says this. As the author addresses his listeners and includes himself, he declares that as Christ's partners, they have God's assurance of an inheritance in the world to come. Their initial resolve and assurance were grounded in the divine promise. No one, no one can challenge the validity of this promise. So let them remain firm until the very end. Such perseverance will demonstrate that their faith is genuine. And then the author closes out this section by repeating Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he's really, he's taking that quote from Psalm 95 and he's turning it around to us. Today, if we hear his voice, we should not harden our hearts as in the rebellion. <clears throat> our last point, unbelief has an expiration date. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Guys, this is scary. 
This is scary for us to think, but if we think about the people who left Egypt with Moses, they left, they followed Moses, they saw all the miracles, they saw the Red Sea parted, they saw Mount Sinai. These guys looked like they were following. But it was to them that that the promised land was closed. Guys, for, for us, one prayer 25 years ago and then nothing else after is not, it doesn't show that we are faithful. Our faith, our belief has to endure. It has to keep on going. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? That unbelief had consequences. Our unbelief has consequences. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. Their unbelief shows up in their actions. Our unbelief shows up in our actions. Do we really trust in Christ? Do we trust in him? Do we trust in him to save us from our sins or are we trusting in ourselves? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. One of the craziest things about this to me is that the people of Israel saw more supernatural proof about God and his might than most of us will ever see in our lifetimes, probably. The promised land was close to them still. Charles Spurgeon says this, we too have enjoyed a clear revelation. We have heard the gospel more plainly than the Israelites ever did. The Bible has more light in it than Moses could impart. The preaching of the gospel, where it is done affectionately and earnestly, and by the help of the Spirit of God, is a greater means for grace to the soul than all the sacred rites of the tabernacle. Shall it be with us As with them, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Shall we labor under the same disability? Israel rejected God through his servant Moses. If we do not believe, we are rejecting God through his son, Jesus. Jesus is a far better revelation and supernatural act than even the parting of the Red Sea. Jesus' life and death and resurrection is the gospel and that is far more powerful than the law that Israel received. Church, let's fight together. Let's trust in Christ together. Let's encourage one another. Let's look out for one another until Christ returns or calls us home. I'm going to close 
with a few passages that just remind us the promises that we have in Christ. From Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Acts chapter four. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Revelation 2, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Let's pray.